All right, so we're going to flip-flop today. The gospel le- we're going to read the Gospel lesson, and then I'm going to preach from the New Testament reading, which comes from Revelation. But first, uh, our Gospel lesson today comes from John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Now when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the gospel of our Lord. And then our New Testament reading and sermon text today, again, from Revelation 21, the first six verses. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is the word of the Lord. So has anyone here today watched the show, The Good Place, NBC show? Let me see. Anyone? 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 Yeah, I got a few handfuls out there, hands out there. So The Good Place is starring Ted Danson. Uh, most of you know who Ted Danson is. And Kristen Bell, uh, the actress who's probably more known for voicing one of the princesses in Frozen, but I always get it backwards which one she is. Just want to help me out? Anna, thank you. Thank you. I always want to say Elsa, and I always know that's wrong. All right, but uh, The Good Place is a a comedy about the afterlife. Uh, It's about when Belle's character, Eleanor Shellstrop, uh, comes to consciousness in what seems like just an ordinary, everyday, real slick-looking, modern-day office. And uh, she wakes up or comes to consciousness in this office to be given the bad news that she is, in fact, dead. And so, Eleanor asks the first question that one might ask if you were to find yourself in this situation, well, how did I die? And the person introducing her to the afterlife is Ted Danson's character, Michael, and Michael informs her that she died in a grocery store parking lot uh, when she bent over to pick up a bottle of Lonely Gal Margarita Mix for One, and a line of shopping carts speeding out of control plowed into her. But that actually didn't kill her. She managed to grab hold of the shopping carts, but the shopping carts drug her into the street where she was run over by a mobile billboard sign for ED medication. 
Well, Eleanor shrugs off this very embarrassing and tragic way to die and asks the next natural question one might ask when you find yourself in this situation. Well, who was right? Who was right? Meaning, who on earth correctly predicted what the afterlife would be? And so Michael tells her this. He says, well, Hindus are a little bit right, Muslims a little bit, Jews, Christians, Buddhists. Every religion guessed about 5%, except for Doug Forsett. And Eleanor goes, who is Doug Forsett? So Michael says, well, Doug was a stoner kid who lived in Calgary in the 1970s. And one night he got really high on mushrooms and his best friend Randy said, hey, what do you think happens after we die? And Doug just launched into this long monologue where he got like 92% correct. We couldn't believe what we were hearing. That's him right up there. And Michael turns and points to what looks like a stoner kid from the 70s in Calgary, Canada. And he says he's pretty famous around here. I'm lucky to have that painting. So Eleanor absorbs this and now she asks the third question that you would naturally ask if you found yourself in this situation. Sheepishly, she wants to know, am I? And she can't even really finish the question. Am I? And Michael knows what she wants to ask. Ah, I see. Yeah, heaven and hell don't really exist as you imagine them on earth. There's really just a good place and a bad place. And you are in the good place. And of course, she feels, what a relief. It's interesting that when you survey Americans, the majority of Americans believe in some kind of afterlife. Even atheists and agnostics still believe there is some kind of afterlife. Only about 20% believe that there is absolutely nothing after we die. But what is striking is that regardless of your religious affinity, 80% of Americans polled believe that the afterlife is an entirely disembodied spiritual existence. That the afterlife, whatever may come, whatever you believe in, is not a physical, tangible reality, whatever that reality is. And that's interesting to me. It's troubling to me, actually, because if the afterlife truly is just a disembodied spiritual existence, floating around on clouds forever, for all eternity, or however long it lasts, then I say that sounds boring. I mean, what a waste. What a waste of this physical reality that seems much more interesting if that's what awaits us on the other side. If heaven is nothing more than a disembodied existence of clouds and light and singing Albeit peaceful, I'm not saying there's no attraction to it. My problem is that just doesn't seem to jive. It just doesn't seem to make sense with everything we experience here and now that is so beautiful and so amazing that you have these moments that seem like, man, I wish this would never end. You know those moments. Hopefully you've had those moments where things are so glorious and beautiful and just move you that you wish that they would never end or somehow they were meant to never end. Well, thankfully, popular opinion on the subject of heaven 
and the afterlife is not exactly the account that we have in our scriptures. Let me remind you again to what our passage today says in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You know, it's funny that in one of the most defining passages in all of Scripture that describes what comes next after death, and there's not a ton of them, and there's a lot of mystery involved, but in one of the most defining passages, Christians have routinely, for centuries, skipped over a very important word in that one verse. Earth. Earth. A new heaven and a new earth. The Christian truth of what we are waiting for after death is not a heavenly existence only. It's both heaven and earth. And there's more. Listen to what he says in verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Not only is there a new earth, there's a new city, a place A very real, tangible place. And what direction is all this activity and action happening? Down. All this comes down here. And who is in this city that brings this new heaven and new earth down here where all the people are? God, of course. He is bringing this entire eternal home of the Lamb to dwell with His bride and His people down here. And this is what he does. When he brings this new heaven and new earth down here to this heaven and this earth. Verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is not making something new out of nothing, like at the beginning of the story. This is making something new out of something that already existed. Wait for the siren to go by. In a sense, making something good as new. This is qualitatively transforming something in a way that it's still fundamentally the same, but it is radically different also. And how so? How is it the same, but yet radically different? Well, it says that the former things have passed away. The former things have passed away. And what is that? The curse of sin is no more. The curse of sin and evil that fundamentally corrupted the first heaven and the first earth is no more. It no longer will exist. And in its place is a new cosmic order where sin and suffering and death are forever banished. Now, what does that mean? Well, first, the greatest blessing of all is that the separation that we experience from our Beloved who made us by His love, for His love, is removed. This passage says God Himself will be with us as our God. And second, by His own hand, again, touch, sounds very physical to me, by God's own hand He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, no more death, no more crying, No more pain. And then third, what does this mean for us? Is that our thirst for life. Our thirst to live. Everything that we have been trying and working so hard for and searching for on this side of eternity to find life. That thirst 
for life is going to be finally and fully satisfied. If you go and you read Isaiah's prophecy about what comes next in Isaiah chapter 25, you'll read about, and a lot of language is very similar to this passage here in Revelation, but Isaiah goes on to expound that we're going to have a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, rich foods filled with marrow. So what does this mean for us about what comes next? It means we're going to party. We're going to feast. We're going to celebrate. Does this sound like a merely spiritual existence to you? It doesn't to me. It sounds like the best dinner party that I have ever been to in my entire life, only even better, times a hundred. You see, the reason that it feels like this world, this time that we have on earth, is so full of richness and wonder and beauty that it has to matter is because it does matter. The tragedy of our sin is that it broke all that is rich and beautiful. And that's not the way that it was ever meant to be. We weren't created to live in a heaven and earth that was supposed to die. Our future, you see, does not say goodbye to all that matters in their life. Our future sees everything that matters in this world made new, made whole. Which is why that we as Christians should see that we are the ones armed with a fighting chance in these years. Because we can both acknowledge that sin and death are grievous. We can mourn what is broken in this world like grocery store shootings and wars. But we can do so with hope that God does not intend in any way, shape, or form to leave it this way. He is renewing all things. All things in His Son, Jesus Christ, and will one day bring it to completion to share in His resurrection life, the old made new, gloriously new, and also gloriously real and physical and tangible and beautiful. But like anything in this universe, the afterlife is no different. The universal pattern is that for new life to happen, something has to die. Now, I know that for many of you, these last few years have felt like all loss and all death and not enough all things being made new. And I get that. And I understand that. I feel it too. And I felt like Pastor Jameson at Resurrection Clinton Hill, he wrote a pastoral letter this past week uh, to that congregation. And I thought that what he said was really helpful. And very helpful to me personally. So I'm going to steal it and I'm going to close by just reading a portion to what he said. Jameson said this. All our various communities and congregations have had to die to self willingly and unwillingly in so many ways the past few years. Now it seems we are called to continue to die to the familiar and the past and follow him into new life. We don't have a map. He does. We don't have a perfect plan. He does. We don't have the wisdom to lead. He does. We follow. We keep the faith. 
And what we do have is a faithful shepherd, which is what the subject of last week's sermon was about. And we follow his voice. What we do have is a growing community of fellow pilgrims to open our deepest fellowship to and share the load and share the road with. What we do have is a certain hope of the final destination. And this inexorable power that destination has to shape our life together now in its image. A certain hope of a final destination that shapes how we think about what it is that we work towards in building this life together in this tragic and broken but very beautiful world that matters deeply to our Heavenly Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.